First Timothy chapter 1, we're going to be looking at verse number 15. First Timothy 1 and verse number 15. First Timothy 1 and verse number 15, the Apostle Paul was writing here, and he said, This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. We've been talking about the reason Christ came and how that he was born to die. And the main reason that Jesus came into this world was to save sinners from hell. That was the main reason. And for him to be able to do that, he had to be able to die. And he had to die for us. And thus, he was born to die. And as we look at this tonight, I want us to take that phrase from that verse, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and examine the implications of that phrase. As we look at this, first of all, I see here that that it tells us that Christ existed before he came. And we really have been dealing with quite a bit of this in the morning, so I'm not going to dwell on this a lot. We'll work our way through it, though. But he existed before he came to this earth. Right? And First uh, John chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, verses we read this morning, that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. It was in the beginning with God. Right? So, Jesus Christ was in the beginning with God because he was God. And John, the beloved disciple who knew Jesus very well, repeated that statement over in the book of 1 John chapter 1, the end of our Bible, 1 John chapter 1. And John here says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled of the word of life. And here he's describing Jesus Christ. Colossians chapter 1, verse 17. We read, And he, speaking of Christ, is before all things, and by him all things consist. He was before all things. He has been since the beginning. And another verse that we looked at this morning, Micah chapter 5, and verse number 2. But thou Bethlehem Ephrathah, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, Yet out of thee shall come forth unto me that is to uh, come forth unto me that is to be ruler in Israel whose goings forth have been from of old from everlasting. Jesus Christ has always existed from the everlasting. And then Hebrews chapter thirteen verse eight, Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. And the other verse that we saw again this morning is John eight. 58, very good verse. Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Before Abraham was, I am. I am. So, these again, somewhat of a review from what we've looked at this morning, but uh, telling us again that Jesus Christ has always existed. And Jesus Christ eternally existed as God. And that's important for us to see. We've We've emphasized that, his equality and his eternal existence. Uh, and the eternal existence of Christ is further evidence in his incarnation. When he came to this earth, he became God in human flesh, a perfect God-man, and he became our, the one mediator between God and man. That's an important truth. First John chapter 2, 
Alright, so we're in, sorry, not John, First Timothy chapter 2. We're in Timothy there, just look down in chapter 2 and look at verse number 5. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. He is the only link that we have with God. He is our mediator between us and God, Jesus Christ. And he had to be the eternal God to be able to do that. And he, uh, if he were less than eternal, now think about this, if he was less than eternal, he would, could not be God. And if he was not God, he could not atone for our sins, for the sins of the whole human race. He paid an eternal debt for us. Every single one of us owe God, if you want to put it in those terms, we, we are indebted to an eternal judgment separated from God. And it took an eternal God to be able to pay an eternal debt for all of the sinners of the universe. Jesus Christ was able to do that. No human could be able to do that, no matter how good of a human that could have been. They could not have possibly done that. So we see here that he existed from eternity past. But then we see the second part of the verse there. It says that Christ Jesus came into the world. He came into the world. He entered into this world as the God-man. And God sent Jesus into the world. It's very interesting. Several verses in the scriptures actually say that it was God that sent him in. One of those verses is in John 3.17. We know John 3.16, of course. Most of us maybe haven't memorized verse 17. It says, For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but the world through him might be saved. So God sent Christ into the world. The Apostle Paul affirmed this in Galatians 4, verse number 4, when he says, But the, when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his Son, made of a woman, made under the law. Once again, in 1 John chapter 4, verse number 9, John tells us that in this was manifest the love of God toward us, because that God sent his only begotten Son into the world, that he might live, we might live through him. God sent him. So in eternity past, the God had planned to send God the Son to this earth to become human flesh, that he might be able to die for sinners. As you think and ponder that, it's no wonder that John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. That kind of love is un, unmatched. A perfect love. None of one of us would give of our, our offspring to die for somebody else. And yet God gave His Son to die for all of us. Not just a physical death, but an eternal judgment death. Somehow, as Christ died on that cross, He took all of our sin and the punishment for all of that sin upon Him. And He paid for that. An amazing love. And then he entered this world as the perfect God-man. Luke's Gospel gives us the most complete description of the incarnation of Christ, the time when Christ became a man. And we'll be looking at that in more details in another message in the future here. But last Sunday night, we noted that Jesus was crowned with glory and honor. That's an amazing statement as we looked at that last week. He, the complete dominion over all creation, was His. 
just as Adam and Eve had been given that complete dominion in the Garden of Eden. And that Jesus Christ came to this earth and spent 33 years on this earth as the God-man. And Jesus experienced life as a human along with hunger and fatigue and thirst and sorrow and pain. And in those 33 years, He never once sinned because He had no sin nature. He had the innocent, sinless nature that Adam and Eve had when they were created. There's a lot to ponder there. God created an Adam and Eve sinless and innocent. And they were created not as robots or puppets, but they were created in such a way that God gave them a free will to be able to choose. And Jesus Christ had that sinless nature that they had as a human in, as the God-man, the incarnation of Christ. And the, the incarnation of Christ is, is, is amazing to ponder because we ask ourselves, well, how could God, the creator of all things, stoop to become one of the humans, one like the humans that he created? That's amazing to think that he would do that. And yet he chose to do that on our behalf. And we ask ourselves, what was his human life like since the second Adam possessing a sinless nature yet living in a sin-cursed world? What was that like? I mean, Adam and Eve were created sinless in a sinless world. And once they sinned, they lost their sinlessness. And so they never lived as innocent, sinless human beings in a sin-cursed world. Because they lost their sinlessness. Now Jesus Christ has come and he's living as a sinless, perfect human being in a sin-cursed world. All of that that's around him. I mean, there's a lot to ponder there. As you think about that, what would have his life been like? Each of you who've had children, you know your children weren't perfect by a long shot. What would it have been like to have Jesus Christ as your son? To never do anything wrong. To obey explicitly every single time. To never get cross. To never get upset. To never fight with his siblings. <laughs> that would have been a very strange thing for Mary. No wonder Mary kept all those things in her heart and pondered them. Because she knew something was strange about this child. He was different than any other child. And he was able yet to be tempted, just like Adam and Eve were able to be tempted in their innocency. But the difference is that Christ resisted every temptation. In Hebrews we read, Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 15, speaking of Christ, For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. So Jesus Christ was tempted in all points like we are. Now that doesn't mean that every single temptation that you've ever faced, Jesus faced. It means in all ways that we were tempted. He was tempted of the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And there's a lot of variations of how that may affect us. And, you know, we could say, well, is Jesus ever tempted to smoke cigarettes? Well, probably not. All right? We don't know that that existed in those days. 
But the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, he was tempted in all of those areas. And in every area he was tempted in, he resisted and did not sin. Here's a question that you can chew on. I have my opinion, I'll share it with you, but I'm not sure it's absolutely right. Did Christ ever get sick? Good thing to think about. I mean, all of us have been sick. (laughs) Yeah, all of us have been sick. But I do not think that Christ ever got sick, and here's why. Because since I do not believe that he possessed a sin-cursed body, he lived in a sin-cursed world, but he was a perfect human being and perfect God together in a sin-cursed world. But I, don't, I can't find anything that tells us that he actually possessed a sin-cursed body. Something for you to chew on. Philippians chapter 2, verse 7 says that he was in the form of God or the fundamental nature of a servant there and in the likeness or resemblance of man but it says nothing about that sin-cursed, nature, or sin-cursed body that man has. So, I personally don't think he ever did get sick, but um, you can think on that. And if you come up with a good answer, then come talk to me about it. So, we find here that he entered the world, and then we find that he came for, with a purpose. Again, the phrase that we're looking at, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. To save sinners. He came with a purpose, to die in our place. And God planned that Christ would do this from eternity past. That is amazing. We read in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 9, who has saved us and called us with an holy calling, not according to our works, but according to His own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. Now, Calvinists would take that and say, well, he planned our salvation and therefore, you know, it was all before the world began. I don't buy into that, but I do believe that before the world began, God knew the whole story. He knew all that was going to take place. He knew who was going to receive him as their Savior. God knew it all because God was God. And it was all planned. And now Acts chapter 15, verse number 18 says, Known unto God are all his works from the beginning of the world. Also in Titus chapter two, 1, verse number 2, we read, In hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. See, none of this was a surprise to God. God had all of it planned that Christ would come to this earth, take upon a human form, die in our place, pay the debt of our sin, and offer us eternal life through salvation in Christ. God announced Christ's purpose to humans. Remember there when Mary was spoken to by the angel sent up from God. Luke chapter 1, verse 31. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son, shall call his name Jesus. That must have been an amazing moment in Mary's life, to say the least. First of all, to talk with an angel. But then to have the angel tell her that kind of a message. And then to realize that she was going to bear this, the Messiah. God then told Joseph, Joseph alarmed that Mary's now pregnant. Matthew chapter 1, verse 21. God sent an angel to talk to Joseph. 
And he said, and she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Told him the reason. Why was he coming? To save his people from their sins. The angel also told the shepherds there in Bethlehem, Luke chapter 2 and verses 10 and 11, And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. So God proclaimed this or announced this to men of what he had plans to do and what he was doing in their lives. Jesus also knew the purpose of his coming. That alone would be very difficult to cope with. You think about it, many people today have emotional struggles because of things that they have been through or things that they know are coming or things that they know have happened and it it bothers them and it can be very, very stressful and straining. And Jesus knew from the very beginning that He came for a purpose of dying for our sins. Not just dying a physical death. Everybody's going to die a physical death. But he died a death in our, our place as our substitute. And he knew that from the beginning. We read in John chapter 3 and verse 17, For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Jesus knew that. Jesus spoke those words. On another occasion, Jesus said in John six thirty-eight. For I came down from heaven, not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. Jesus, I came to fulfill his will. He knew from the beginning. Jesus also prayed before going to the cross because he knew the purpose of his being there was drawing nigh. And it was a very difficult time for him. Mark chapter 14, verse 36 says, And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible unto thee. Take away this cup from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what thou wilt. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 7 and 8. Two verses that as I pondered over them a week or so ago, they just really gripped my heart. It says, who, speaking of Christ, who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplication with strong crying and tears unto him that was able to save him from death and was heard in that he feared, though he was, were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things he suffered. There in the garden he prayed and cried with tears. One of the Gospels said that he sweat great drops of blood. There was so much agony in his prayers. And I believe it was because he knew what was coming. It wasn't just that he was going to die. We're all going to die one of these days. But he was dying not only a physical death, but he was dying a terrible, cruel death. No question about that. But more than that, he was dying for the sins of all mankind and bearing that eternal damnation. I mean, you just think about the, the awfulness of spending an eternity in hell 
Multitudes are already there and they're going to spend all of eternity in hell. And yet Jesus died not just to pay for my eternity in hell, but your eternity in hell and all other people's eternity in hell. He paid for all of that. The extent of that weight was heavy on him. And he cried and he wept there in the garden as he talked with the Father and asked him to relieve him from that. But he said, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And the end of these verses here says, yet learned he obedience by the things he suffered. Instead of refusing, instead of calling for the 12 legions of angels to rescue him, instead of escaping, he learned obedience and suffered in our place. It's a lot to ponder in those verses. Hebrews 5, 7 to to 8. But then also Christ fulfilled the purpose that he came for. Romans 5, 8. But God commended his love toward us, and while we are yet sinners, Christ died for us. 1 John chapter 4, verses 9 and 10. And this, was the, and this was manifest, the love of God toward us, because that God sent his only begotten Son into the world, that, he might live, that we might live through him. Herein is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Do you understand the word propitiation? We've talked about propitiation in the past, but we need to grasp the truth of that word. Propitiation means that he took all of our judgment on him and he satisfied the wrath of God completely. He propitiated our sin. He took all of the payment on himself, paid for it in full. 1 John chapter 2 and verse 2 says, and He is the propitiation for our sins, not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. He didn't just die for the people that love Him. He died for all those people out there that curse Him. He died for the whole world. Paid the debt of their sins so that they could be set free. And because of that, you and I can offer the gift of salvation to anyone that we meet and say, God loves you and died for you and wants you to go to heaven. We can say that with confidence because he propitiated the sins of the whole world. Second Corinthians 5.21 says, For he has made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Truly Jesus was born to die. What a wonderful plan that God had. What amazing love. For those who do not know Him, they need to receive that gift of love. But for those of us who do know Him, and we've received that gift, we need to take time to thank Him. As we approach Christmas, we need to thank God that He came to this earth for us. He was born to die that we might escape damnation for all eternity.